So you may be asking yourself, oh man, that guy looks a lot like Pastor Greg if he was stung by a lot of bees and he became a lighthouse attendant. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, Todd Kilmeyer. I'm the, the student pastor here, and so I get to uh, work with the middle school, high school, college, and young adults here at FBC Medford, and uh, today I get to bring the word to you, so um, please pray for me, as, as I do. Um, but if I'm not usually, like right now, I'm not usually surrounded by the gaggle of students uh, that follow me around, and that's what I love doing, so um, that's why I really why you don't recognize me. Um, but uh, I wanted to start off by asking you this question of, have you ever asked the question, now what? Or what now? Whether you've accomplished a life goal or um, even in your Christian faith, you think, okay, I've, I've trusted my life to Christ, and, um, but now what? What do I do now? What does my life look like now? And uh, to illustrate this point, um, I'm going to use an example. And it actually pains me to use this guy's name because I don't like him um, at all. If you know me at all, you know I, I, I actually root for two teams in the NFL the Eagles, and anyone who's playing the Patriots. Um, I, I will even root, so when the Giants were in the Super Bowl, I actually rooted for the Eagles rivals, the Giants, in those Super Bowls because they were facing the Patriots. Um, and so I really don't, so it, it pains me to use him as an example, but um, it's a great example, so you'll see. So, uh, Tom Brady. Oh. oh, I need a moment. I, I threw up a little in my mouth. Um, so after winning his three Super Bowls, uh, the his first three Super Bowls, he actually went on an interview with 60 Minutes with Dan Rather, and he had a very telling story, and it was a very telling interview, um, and this is what he has to say. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, stink and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream. Me, I think, God, it's got to be, I mean, uh, sorry, it's, he says, me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that is cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? Then Dan asks a very, uh, very good question to him. He says, then what is the answer? And Tom Brady responds, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now you can look this up on this interview up on YouTube for yourself, and here's Tom Brady, an MVP quarterback, multiple Super Bowl rings. Even though they cheated, it's okay. Um, <laughs> still bitter about it, it's okay. Uh, but he's rich. He has a beautiful supermodel of a wife, children um, that he loves, and according to the world standards, he's got it all. He has it made. He's done it. Did it. Congratulations to Tom Brady. Uh, he's made it, succeeded in all of life's standards. But here's Tom Brady in an interview asking, now what? I've done it all, now what? Now, I do not know Tom Brady personally, and I do not know his faith or his, uh, if he has one or what. But he is certainly asking himself, now what? And we kind of try to do the same with our faith. We will find at some point... When we've come to faith in Christ, we kind of think, so what do we do now? What is it going to look? How should our lives be now that we've 
uh, accepted and trusted our lives to Christ. And so today, as we look at First uh, Peter chapter three verses eight through twelve, we will see what Peter is going to say is the marks of a Christian faith community. He, it's now that we've trusted in Christ, he's set up through through the first couple of chapters. Hey, remember who you are in Christ to live holy and righteous and for God's glory. And now he's going to say, this is how a community of believers should act and respond to their faith in Christ, uh, to those inside the church and outside of the church. And so we're going to read, uh, if you want to follow along, First uh, Peter chapter 3. It'll be up on uh, verses 8 through 12, and it'll be up on the screens for you to follow along. Or you can uh, use your own uh, copy of the scripture, or there's Bibles in the um, uh, seats in front of you. In verse, in, in verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and, seek good, or, and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, as we open up this uh, with these verses, in verse 8, we get to see how we are to live in Christian community as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. And the first adjective that he uses is to have unity of mind. See, all of us, he's, the first word, he says, all of you. He's kind of transitioning into these specific things that we looked at last week. Thanks, Pastor Greg, for doing the wives and uh, submitting to husbands yet last week, so I don't have to. Um, so thank you. But now he transitions, Peter transitions, says, all of you. So this is everyone in, in Christian community should have unity of mind. So he's talking about the church family. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be of one mind, in spirit, and in one purpose. See, uh, knowing the, pe- the people that Peter w- was addressing were in fierce persecution, he says, even in the midst of persecution, you should still be one in purpose. You should be unified together as a family on purpose. So one of my favorite uh, sporting events, besides the NFL and watching Tom Brady lose, um, is, is actually the Olympics. Uh, every four years, or actually two years with the winter and, and, and summer, and I like both of them. They're great. And there was a movie, a great movie, uh, a classic Olympic movie made um, years ago, and it was called Cool Runnings. Uh, yeah, okay, so you know. It's about the Jamaican bobsled team and how they started. And what I love about this is that it shows a picture of four track stars who, at the beginning of the film, didn't like each other. In, in fact, in some of those people, some of those track stars actually were the reason the other guys didn't make it into the Summer Olympics on the track team. Uh, and so, in the beginning, they're just four guys trying to 
you know, get into the Olympics, and then, but by the end of the film, they are competing in the Olympics, and it's a great time where to see them journey through this, but they become a team. They become a unified team in just competing for the glory of their country. They are saying, we have one goal, and it's to compete with the Jamaican flag flying high. And that was the entire story, is, is really them coming together as, first as four individuals, coming together as one team. And that's why I love the Olympics so much, too, is because it shows countries from around the world, teams that come together for one purpose, to, to get gold, or just to compete for, the, uh, for their own country and to represent their country. And that's really what the Olympics is all about, is coming together and competing on a level playing field to, uh, for, for one purpose, and, and that is to compete to, at the best of your ability. And so... As a church, Peter is calling us to be unified. Now, we aren't going to be competing for our country, but we have our own marching purpose, our own marching orders and purpose. And he actually gives, Jesus actually gives us these, this purpose, the church. In Matthew 28, a very famous passage, 18 through 20, it's known as the Great, uh, Com Great Commission, and he says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. See, our unity, our, our purpose as a church is to make disciples. To introduce people to the gospel, the, the saving grace, the free gift of Christ on the cross, that if we would accept it, that we would have eternal life with him, salvation. To introduce people to that, and then to, as they come to Christ, train them up in righteousness. To make disciples who make disciples, a multiplying community centered on Christ and the gospel. And this is the, the great unifying purpose to us as believers. But not only are we supposed to have unity of mind, he gets our, the next adjective we come to is sympathy. And the word sympathy in the Greek is not just sympathizing with someone as in like a feeling. Um, it actually literally means to suffer with someone. In other words, the sympathy we have for one another isn't that, oh, that's really hard, that sounds like you're going through a rough time. But it's actually taking on that suffering of someone else, of brothers and sisters in the community, and saying, I'm going to carry this burden with you. I'm going to walk with this, uh, with this burden, and I'm going to take it on, and we're going to walk through this together. So when, he says, when Peter says sympathy, he's not just saying, hey, sympathize with them emotionally. He's saying, take on their burdens and walk with people through their burdens, through their suffering, through uh, and suffer with those people. I mean, this is actually even restated in Galatians by, by Paul when he says in Galatians 6-2, bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is a great way. He, Paul is saying literally that we can fulfill love your neighbors by suffering with people. 
and not just people, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the sympathy that we are to have and the mark of our community of believers is not just an emotional response, but it's also taking on and walking with uh, suffering of one another. But aren't, we're not only just to be unified and sympathetic, but we're also to exhibit brotherly love. And this may sound easy, but when we put our faith and trust in Christ, and we, 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 we literally become part of God's family. If you are a believer in this room right now, you are a son or daughter of, of, of God. You a, are a blood relative of, of, of God through Christ. And so brotherly love, the, the, what he is describing is we all come from different communities, different backgrounds. I come from New Jersey. You, um, and that was supposed to be a joke. Obviously didn't land. No, no problem. It's okay. I get it. West Coast. That's fine. Um, it's anyway. But we all come from different backgrounds. And we all come from different walks of life. We, we have different financial situations. We might even come from different heritages. Uh, my family is, is, is German and Swiss, and I think my mom always told us our little pinky is Irish. Um, and so we all come from different heritages. And this is the beauty and the diversity that we are supposed to have in the family of God. And it's beautiful. We, we might even speak different languages. The, 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 the full body of the church around the world is, is spoken in different age groups, different socioeconomics, different life circumstances, different cultures, and it's beautiful. And what is amazing is that we are all to come together unified as a family. So what, what Peter is saying is to have brotherly love is all of you who aren't actually related, when you come to Christ, even though you're not related by blood, you are related by the blood of Christ. He's saying, treat one another as actual brothers and sisters. Strangers become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the unity that we're supposed to have, the brotherly love that we are supposed to exhibit one another is the brotherly and sisterly love we should share with our families, the love that we have for our spouse, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our children. That's the love that we are supposed to exhibit with one another who have vastly different backgrounds. See, there is nothing on this earth that unifies people like Christ. When it says that in heaven, all nations will be praising his name, I don't think it's going to be in English, is what I'm going to say. And that's the beauty of what Christ does, is that literally by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, literally by his blood, we become blood relatives with our church family. And that's what the, the, the brotherly love we're supposed to exhibit. And so how do you treat our brothers and sisters in our church family? How do you treat one another? 
And I'm not talking about like the teenage years. We can just ignore those. Like brothers and sisters. Because I know I fought a lot with my sister and brother. Or well, no, I don't have a brother. Sorry, my sister when I was a teenager. I'm talking about brothers and sisters and family loving one another in the name of Christ. Then we get to this next aspect of how our church family should be, and it's, he, he talks about having a tender heart. Now, just like sympathy, you might dismiss this. If you were just reading this passage, you might just go, okay, tender heart, I'll be tender. I'll be like a teddy bear to people. Um, but it's not that simple. He, he actually, when Peter says tender heart, just like sympathy, is, is actually seeing the needs of others in our community and meeting them. So it's not just pain, so it's not just knowing about the needs of others or wh- whether financially or just emotionally or some, uh, some other needs that we have. But when we are struggling as a, as a uh, Christian, we can go to our church family and say, I need help. And what's amazing, Paul is calling, uh, excuse me, Peter is telling us that we should meet those needs. We shouldn't just listen to those needs. We shouldn't just say, that sounds really difficult. But we should actually help meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. That our brothers and sisters, when they come with a te- the, the tender heart aspect, is actually being moved saying, man, I can help with that. I can help you in whatever way, whether it's, hey, I'll be a crying shoulder for you when, you, when you've lost your mother or father. Or, I'll, I'll man, I, my car broke down, and I don't have a ride to work. Man, why don't you either, hey, I'll drive you, or if it doesn't work, how about I have an extra... Maybe I have an extra car. Maybe God has blessed you with an extra car. You can just take the car for a couple of days until your, while your car's in the shop. It is actually meeting the needs of others in our church. And so not only should we know about the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we should be able to, as a tender heart, part of our responsibility is to act on those needs and to help fulfill those needs as we can. And not only that, but we finally get in verse 8, our final um, aspect of how we should relate to one another as a church family is the word humble. And I, I really like how he puts this last because I think it's also one of the most important. In, in the t- before we get into what humility actually is, in, in the what, what is amazing about Jesus is that during the Greco-Roman time that, that Jesus came, humility was not a virtue. Humility was actually seen as a weakness. If you were a humble person, you were seen as a weak person. Pride actually was to be honored, and that was the way people saw you as powerful. It wasn't until Jesus came and started preaching that you should put others ahead of yourselves, that you should carry others' burdens and think more highly of them than yourself. It wasn't until then that humility in the history of the world transitioned from something to be seen as a weakness to something that's seen as a virtue. 
Jesus did that. Jesus literally flipped humility from a sign of weakness to a, to a virtue. Never before in the history of the world was humility seen as a virtue until Jesus came. And it is so important because humility is putting others and thinking of others' needs before our own. Husbands, it's seeing the needs of your wife be fulfilled before you watch Stranger Things season three. If you're like my wife, we watch it together. It's great. But it's putting others' needs in front of your own. And, and humility is the great, th- the great aspect of our community because without humility, we can't come to Christ. Now, I want to be clear here because I don't want to be seen as a heretic, so that's good. Um, you can't come to salvation without having humility. Now, Jesus is a free gift of grace by God. Anyone who can anyone can come to him, there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. That's clear from the Bible. But I will say that to accept Christ on the cross, his sacrifice on the cross actually says that you're a sinner. You have to humbly admit I have wronged a holy and perfect God. I have done wrong. I am not worthy. I can't work hard enough to earn my salvation. But God in his love and mercy and grace loved me so much that as a sinner, as, a, as I was rebelling against a holy and perfect God, sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me and for my sins. That if I would humble myself and say, yes, that's the humility you need for salvation. So humility is literally within the marks of salvation. We can't be saved if we're not willing to admit, I've done wrong. I've messed up. And so humility, that's why I love how he puts humility at the end. Because our brothers and sisters, the mark of our community should be humility. We should serve one another. We should put the needs of others above our own. And say, I love you so much because God loved me so much. Now, in verse 9, there's a little bit of a transition that Peter does, and it's a little, he kind of switches gears. And he, he wants to transition, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for those, or sorry, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. And this Switching gears, he's obviously not talking about those 
in the church anymore. He's talking about how should we relate to those who wrong us outside of the church, or, or basically non-Christians. And, and even though that's the application, and that's where his mind is, I want to put it to you that regardless of if they're a Christian or, a, or non-Christian, and they wrong you, this, the way we understand this passage is the same. So, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So if someone wrongs us, what do we do? How should we live? Our, how should we respond? And Peter says, don't take personal revenge. And this is the mark of what Jesus says throughout the Gospels when he was with us on earth. He says, do not repay evil with evil. Do not seek revenge. Instead, if we are wrong, bless them. And it may sound, when he says bless them, he, he doesn't even just say, like, bless them. Um, for this to, you, to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It may sound like Peter is trying to describe that, hey, if you, if, if you bless others who've wronged you, you will actually obtain salvation. He's not saying that. It's much like the work of James. It says, faith without works is dead. He's saying that as a response to our faith, and, and salvation in Christ, that we would extend that grace to other people. That when people wrong us, instead of taking personal revenge, whether emotionally or whether physically, we would instead show them grace. We would show grace to others who have wronged us. So this is like if someone stole my car, I'm not going to go then and steal theirs and say, an eye for an eye. No. This is saying that when we show grace, we don't take personal revenge. It doesn't mean I'm not going to call the cops if my car is stolen. It means that I'm not going to seek my own personal revenge by stealing their car or hurting their property and claiming it as a personal revenge. See, even Jesus said the same thing is in, in the Gospels of we, we should, an eye for an eye, but he's talking about we're not seeking personal revenge. He's asking us to, yes, if the, the, law, if, if you have, if the law has been broken, call the cops. It's okay. But do not seek retribution from that on top of what the cops are going to do, the law is going to do. It means extending grace, maybe relationally with that person. It means showing grace in the times that you can. And it means that we don't seek to harm more and to seek our revenge. It is show, the blessing that they would get is by, by showing grace, we can say, I am showing grace to you. Why? Because grace has been shown to me Christ. That's the mark of a Christian community who has been wronged. So in that, in that, if we are wrong, we are to extend grace where we can. In the end of 1 Peter, verses 10 through 12, he kind of sums all of this up in a quote from, from Psalms. And he says in verse 10, For whoever desires to love life, 
and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so we have our now what? If you have trusted your life to Christ and are in a community with other believers, then the now what is our community should be extended. How I should live in that community is as Peter says. We should show brotherly love. We should suffer with one another and take on that suffering. We should see each other as brothers and sisters and as a family, not just strangers who come to church on Sunday mornings. We are to help those who are in need in our community, and we are to humble ourselves and to love them and to show uh, and we are to show grace to those who wrong us. And all of this is only possible through the love and the grace of Christ. So what does this mean for us? I always like ending, even when I teach on, on Wednesday nights to the students, I always like to end with what does this mean for us? What, what are we going to do about it on Monday? And so... There might be, so I have a couple of questions that I'm going to ask, and I want you to ponder them. And, and the first question I have is, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted your life to, to Christ, are you in a community of believers where, where all of these things could be possible? I'm not saying we're perfect at it at FBC. We certainly aren't. We strive to, of course. But are you in a community of believers that that we could actually use these marks of a Christian community, that we could actually extend grace because, hey, we're all sinners and we need grace sometimes. Are you in a community? If not, what's stopping you? We are, the church is called the family of God by saying we're not gonna be a part of a community of believers is, is like saying, I really wanna be an orphan. And so our, the, the first question I have for you is, are you in a Christian community? Uh, do, you, are you, do you have relationships within that community that you need to exhibit humility and grace? Uh, if you are here today and you're like, well, I'm in a community, but I really don't know anyone that well. I mean, I really don't need to show them grace because they haven't done anything to me. Like, how close are these relationships that you have with one another? Because my closest relationships, I know, well, you could just ask Jordan, she extends me a lot of grace. A lot of grace. She has to humble herself a lot, I'm sure. So, all I'm saying is that if you are in a community but don't, don't have the opportunity to extend to, to be humble and put others in, in front of your own needs uh, and extend grace, then maybe those relationships aren't that deep to begin with. And this one is a personal one of mine, and you probably heard it. Um, granted, he, he hasn't wronged me, 
but um, I do have some revenge plotting in my mind against Tom Brady. Um, but uh, I will say that, are, is that, is there a person in your life that you need to extend grace to? That you've been seeking personal revenge, maybe through gossip, maybe through um, even just talking to other people to, to, to maybe hurt their, their social character. Or maybe it's actually physical, you're trying to get back at them physically, or even, dare I say, passive-aggressively. We must let these things go. As, as, as Peter has outlined, show brotherly love, and again, even though they may have wronged you, to extend grace where we can. And so is there some revenge planning or plotting going on in your mind of someone that you just need to forgive? And what's amazing about this passage is that this is all in the context of per severe persecution. So suffering and persecution does not give us a free pass to sin. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I really deserve this right now. I don't care. I've been through so much. My job, school, if you're still in school. I, man, I've just been beaten up. I deserve this right now. And it gives you a license to sin. And Peter is saying, no, we even in the midst of suffering and persecution, that we as Christians are still called to be holy and righteous and live in a way that extends grace to others, to be humble, and we are called to be set apart. This is what I hope the church, all of us get today, the church as a whole is that we should be a church body that when people enter in from outside that they would be forced to ask the question why are they so different why, why is it that even when two people from completely different backgrounds so a cop and a prisoner a uh, a, a teacher and even a student, uh, someone who is extremely rich and someone who is uh, in need, can come together and love each other as a family. That the world would come in and say to FBC church as a whole, why are they like that? They would, they would ask, why are they extending grace instead of seeking retribution for what they have been wronged? Why is it that they're forgiving one another? Why, why are they putting others' needs instead of their own? Because the world tells us that we're the most important person in the world. My favorite topic is me. Ever, the world says that. The world says, follow your heart. It doesn't say follow someone else's heart. Follow your heart. Follow your feelings. Feel your God. Whatever it is. And here we would be a church that would 
first follow Christ and, be, and making disciples and through that love each other and care for one another and meet the needs and suffer with those who are suffering. And so that people outside would be like, what is so different? And that it would lead to gospel conversations. So when we go to the carnival next week even, that we would be a community, not even just FBC, but the NAS and Heritage would come together as Christians and we would love their brothers and sisters and our brothers and sisters as Christ. And people would come to this event thinking, man, I get a free ticket to the fair. I'm going to go hear what this Jesus stuff is about just so I can go get to a free fair and see the unity that Christ has in the, uh, in the church. That although it's three different churches, you would see one body of believers praising Christ. That those same people would ask, how is that even possible? That it would lead to gospel conversations. That the great unifier is the blood of Jesus Christ and it's offered to anyone who would humble themselves. Christ calls us to live differently within our church body. And so what marks our life, the now what for our church community is make disciples, love one another as family.